This is a Cyclone weather alert. Ladies and gentlemen, radar Go back has to the hall after an eight-yard run. Look at him follow the quarterback. Purdy through the hole. Back in the end zone. Caught. It's touchdown. It's Charlie Corr. Welcome to a special edition Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. Chris Williams and Jared Stansberry bring you insight and analysis of Matt Campbell's Iowa State Cyclones and their, and their postseason, postseason matchups. Let's take it one time. Coverage is brought to you by Fairway Meat and Grocery, Graphite Construction Group, the DraftKings Sportsbook at Wild Rose Casino, and by the Iowa Clinic and Iowa Clinic Men's Center. And and one go across midfield. Burkett's the kicker, couldn't get him. Can Washington, he shoves him out of bounds. So Ellinger has to be quick here, able to avoid the rush, pressured, and Ellinger's brought down by Latrell Bankston. Fanatics, thanks for your support all season long. To our corporate sponsors, Patreons, readers, listeners. We couldn't do it without you. And now, please welcome your host, Chris Williams and Jared Stansberry. What is up, Cyclone Nation? We are uh, in the middle of Kansas in a land jet recording this thing right now. And uh, it's good to get to have you. Thanks for joining us on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. My name is Chris Williams. I am joined by Jared Stansbury. I want to thank all of our presenting sponsors for uh, today's, well, not just today's coverage, but the coverage from the entire week and not only that, but the entire Iowa State postseason. Uh, of course, our friends at the Iowa Clinic and the Iowa Clinic Men's Center bringing us uh, coverage all season long. Fairway Meat and Grocery. We have a new sponsor, Graphite Construction Group. It's the new name for Roshan Corporation of Iowa. We're going to tell you more about them here over the next couple of weeks or so. And um, also our good friends at the DraftKings Sportsbook at the Wild Rose Casino in Jefferson. All right, I'm telling you guys, uh, if you listen to Todd Kirk and I and the Action Fanatics every week, I know there are other options out there. Trust me, I, I gamble way too much on sports. It is totally worth a quick drive to Jefferson, Iowa. And the and, and Stansbury's been getting in on this as I'll bring Jared in. The like the 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 value things that they throw at you. Yeah. Like you were telling me like what what's the deal with the NBA? Yeah, so on a, on opening night they're gonna have a thing where uh, the two of the games I think I don't know if there's more than just those two, but on, on the twenty second, so next Tuesday, you log on uh, you pick one of the four teams that's playing. So it's the the Nets and the Warriors and then the Lakers and the Clippers. You pick one of those teams, and then you will get an odds boost to get them at plus 75, <laughs> uh, plus 100 odds. So, so they're just giving you money. Yeah, so basically, yeah. Uh, if you think that the Lakers, Clippers, Warriors, or Nets could keep a game within 75 points, then you're going to double your money. That's basically what the what the gist of it all is. And and I think even another one that's a good uh, indicator of how good they are to people, you know, the obviously the the debacle with the Cleveland Browns on oh, brutal on uh, brutal on, on Monday. I lost ten dollars on that game. Uh, turned right around. They gave everybody. Uh, I think you could get either a, like a fifty dollar free bet, a hundred dollar free bet, a thousand dollar free bet, or some other or like one other thing. Just kind of a roll of the dice type deal. I got a hundred dollar free bet. I only uh, got the, f- the Furman Paladins hit for me. I only got fifty. Well, Why'd you get a hundred and I got fifty? I just guess I got good luck. I, I guarantee I've lost more money on that app than you have. Oh, over I'm the years. certain that you are, <laughs> but it's just I just got good luck. All right. Um, 
really quick, we're going to be joined by Sage Rosenfels coming up here in about 15 minutes or so and to talk about the, the game and then just really kind of look back to it, the more of the growth of Iowa State football, Sage's perspective. We've talked a lot about, like, coaches and stuff like that, but I, I think, um, you know, Sage was one of those – real pillars uh the start of the mccarney era so we're going to talk with him we'll talk some x's and o's brock purdy is a pro prospect um and of course iowa state and oklahoma but today's postseason pod uh really we're going to feature here with with stansbury about the big 12 awards that came out today a clean sweep for the cyclones Brees Hall, the Offensive Player of the Year in the Big 12. Mike Rose, the Defensive Player of the Year in the Big 12. Matt Campbell, the Coach of the Year in the Big 12. And all in all, I, Jared, nine Cyclones? On the first team, yeah. Wow. 11 total, and then I think 22 guys overall for either first team or, or either made a team or were honorable mention. That's incredible. Um you know, I the the honorable mention team is the most interesting one to me because mm-hmm. I think we knew like what the first team. This is where I get excited about the future. Latrell Bankston, um, Jay Cummel's on it, but he's he's an upperclassman. But Anthony Johnson, Tavon Kyle, Isaiah Lee, uh, Darrell Simmons. Those are all. Roy really, Wally. Roy Walling, yeah. yeah. I, there's other guys on there, but I'm I'm naming the younger ones. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That are all super young guys who uh, just have so much more right. to give to this program. I am um, ecstatic about that, and even like we're not even considering Xavier Hutchison. Yeah. Who this is his first year. He was the uh, offensive newcomer of the year. How about Will McDonald being a first team All Big Twelve player? He's never started a game at Iowa State. Yeah, really incredible. Yeah. Did, were you were you expecting this big of a dominate dating day for Iowa State? Um, I, I mean, I think I thought there were some guys that were right on the edge of maybe being in that conversation of being first team. I, I knew that they were going to win a bunch of awards. I mean, I told you before it even came out, I thought that Rose and uh, Hall would both win offensive and defensive yeah. player of the year. I, I thought it was pretty obvious that Brees would. I thought yeah. Mike would, but I thought Ishim sure. would have a good chance at, at defensive freshman of the year. And then I guess I, I mean, I didn't even think about it, but offensive newcomer of the year is a no brainer to give it to Xavier, I, I think. And then, mm-hmm. um, but I think when you look at the first team, I I was thinking about this earlier in the week w- with Will because I was like, man, I mean, the guy led the league in sacks. Like, he's about the damn near the most unblockable player on in the conference. Like, at this point, I knew that he would be on a team. I didn't know if he would be first team. But uh, to see him and Jaquan both be first team players, I thought was, uh, you know, it just shows the respect that those guys have garnered from the league's coaches. Um, I was a little bit surprised, I think, to see Brock as the first team quarterback. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Sam Ellinger maybe would be the only one that you could put in there in that same conversation. But uh, I, I, I knew they would have a lot of guys that would get those honors. I didn't expect all of those guys to be first team. I will say, though, Anthony Johnson not being on either one of the first or second team I thought was a little bit surprising. I, I think that he has proven to be a better corner than just earning honorable mention honors. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, really an incredible day. Um, it will be way better if Iowa State wins the football game. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's really what is important here. I think that's another interesting aspect of this is just um, when you look up and down at this Big 12 team, the 
you know, according to this, Iowa State has the best football team in the Big 12. According to the record, Iowa State has the best football team in the Big 12. Yet Iowa State is still a five-point underdog heading into Saturday's game against Oklahoma. And I would guess, um, I would guess the majority of the nation will pick Oklahoma. Yeah, I, I was looking at what Stuart Mandel and Bruce Feldman had for their, their predictions. They both had Iowa State covering the spread, but it was just, I mean, it, they had it by like three, I think. So close game, you know. I, I feel like this is one that, if you really pay attention, then you know that this is one that is a toss-up, I think. Oklahoma gets five points in, on the line, in my mind, and reputation yeah. as much as anything. Well, I just I have a hard time th- seeing this as being anything besides a toss-up, really. One thing I want to ask Sage Rosenfels about because he's played in pro stadiums, you know, with his with his time in the NFL. I am interested to see what those guys think about how, you know, jumping into that arena, yeah, for the first time will impact Iowa State. Not that the moment will be too big; it's different. Like we've seen it with basketball, right? Like. When you go into a pro arena compared to a college arena, like the yeah. rims look different, stuff like that. How will that aspect of Jerry World, it's the most monumental stadium and maybe w- the not the world, but for football, definitely here in the United States of America. I wonder if there's a difference, though. Like, I don't know that basketball and football would be a very solid comparison just because of, like, with basketball, the backdrop is so much different. Correct. Like, if you're yeah. going to the United Center, yeah. I mean, anybody who's been in the United Center and been in Hilton Coliseum, like, it's a considerable difference, you yes. know, how far away the wall is. Whereas in football, I would think that the biggest difference would probably be you know, catching punts and kicks or, like, catching passes that are thrown up into the lights more than it would be anything else, you yeah. know? Um, no, that that's fair. Um, but, but I do just... You know, these Oklahoma guys have been there for every year yeah. of their careers other than the freshmen. And this, this is all a brand-new thing. But th- this is where I really just feel like Iowa State, and, and today kind of proved it with these Big 12 awards. But this isn't – Iowa State belongs here. This isn't really a Cinderella story. I mean, I guess it is in the fact that it's, it's Iowa State and it's their first time playing in this game. Mm-hmm. But it's a really good football team. It's a football team that completely belongs to be in this spot or it deserves to be in this spot. Uh, the the league voted today, and Iowa State had more players on the first team than anyone. It swept the awards. The Cyclones are a really good football team. And um, I don't know. I, I'm i really excited. Have you started? I haven't I haven't given you my pick yet. Is everybody picking Iowa State to win? I have not read any of the picks okay. that I've gotten yet. Okay. I, I haven't. I think I've only gotten two, so. Okay. I was just curious because I, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing when everybody picks Iowa State to win. Uh, I will say that I feel like when our guys have picked, like for the most part, I've all picked Iowa State. They've usually done pretty well. So well, I mean, because there's, that's something that you and I have talked about before. It's like, man, I don't like when we all pick Iowa State. Yeah, and then they all come out and win anyway. That's the old school Iowa State or me coming back to. I think we did that for bite me there. The first Oklahoma game. That's yeah. when you texted me and you said, "I, you're like, man, I don't like that. We're all picking Iowa State." And I think I said to you then, I was like, man, I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like they're actually going to win, though. <laughs> like, I don't think that this is uh, too. is us being homers, you know. Yeah. And I haven't quite decided what I'm going to do yet. I, I kind of go back and forth. I'm, it's a toss-up. I, like I, I said, I think this game could really go either way. I think it's going to be a great game. I mean, I, and that's every conversation I have. Like, I think that this is a, two teams that match up so, so well. One thing I do love about it is just the track record that Iowa State – Matt Campbell and John Haycock have 
with Lincoln Riley. I mean, it really hasn't mattered what is on the field for those two teams over the past four years or so. It's always a good game. It's always a close game. Right. I have no concern about Iowa State's defense. Like, I mean, I think that that's – most people would hold that opinion each and every week when you watch – if everybody's watched Iowa State. And it's just – that group, because they've got so many veterans and they're so talented, and then you've got the professor at the helm. Yeah. Like, I feel good about what they're going to come out and do every like all the time. I do like the two weeks, too. Um, well, it's like even Jeff – you know, Jeff and I have talked about this a lot on football and random things where, like, Iowa State gives up points early in a game. Like, I know you've talked about that sometimes where, like, they – that every game it seems like they give up a touchdown on the first drive. But – Iowa State is so good. John Hickok is so good at making adjustments during the game that I don't, like, they settle in, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm sure that Lincoln Riley will have some things up his sleeve, Mm -hmm. you know. I mean, there's a reason that he's the best offensive coach in college football. But I think that when you've got a guy like John Hickok and you have the guys that Iowa State has as a defense, you know, I know that Spencer Rattler was on the team last year that was in this game. But – kid's still a freshman that offense has not been near as prolific as what some of the past ones have been and I feel like they are going to have something cooked up for him as well to do something and try their best to confuse him I'll be really interested matchup wise to see if Iowa State can get to him with three they struggled with that in that um, first half but they didn't actually really for the whole game Haycock had to really dial pressure up in the second half from they also didn't try that much though they didn't well they normally aren't really trying with three it's just sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and Haycock generally um, you know, it takes him a quarter or so, and then he settles in and figures out how he wants to apply pressure. I'll be interested to see that this time around. And I and I do think it's it's important to point out too. Oklahoma, you know, he gets Perkins back better up front on the defensive side of the football. Mm-hmm. They were really good. I thought that day in Ames up front. I thought it was the back seven yeah. where they struggled. That that's where I think the Iowa State's biggest advantage in this game is is their receivers and tight ends going up against the Oklahoma secondary. I mean, Jeff had it perfectly in his in the preview that he wrote where it was the average height of Oklahoma's secondary is like 5'10 and the average height of Iowa State's pass catchers I think is 6'4" which is a, obviously a six-inch difference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I just think that if they can do a good enough job of protecting Brock Purdy, which this offensive line, for the most part, has done a pretty good job of this season, then I feel like they're going to have a shot to move the football, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, they, might not, they might not move it prolifically early in the game, but also, like, they kind of do that where they settle in as well. I was just getting to that point now where early in the game they'll run the ball and they might get only two yards, two yards, yeah. you know, three they yards. They chip away at you. And it, but that's like what Iowa does, where you're getting two yards in the first quarter, but then all of a sudden you're getting seven in the fourth, you know. And how can they wear down these this Oklahoma defense? I mean, I think it's been proven, like, Oklahoma, especially in the secondary, they don't have anybody else. Like, they're not deep at those positions. No. If they were deep, then Bookie Radley-Hiles would not be playing – every down for them at mm-hmm. the at the nickel spot with the number of issues that he's had whether it's with penalties or like all kinds of different stuff they are kind of in a spot where it's like they got to roll with the guys that they got if you can figure out a way to wear them down and you can hang around in the game like even how many close games have they really even played oklahoma or texas you know yeah. like i mean they, uh, when they played oklahoma state oklahoma state was ravaged by injuries 
Yeah. Uh, Baylor was a close game, but like Baylor, Baylor hung with them. Kansas State was close, I guess, and they lost. Yeah, but that uh, was a long that, time. That ago was too. so long ago. Yeah. It's just been a really clunky season for them, and I I, I would probably put advantage Iowa State too. I mean, I I, I think that. Um, a lot of people made a big deal out of them getting that game against West Virginia canceled. Frankly, I don't know if that really helped them. They, I mean, they haven't played much football lately. Yeah, They weren't going to run out their starters for the whole game. and They were going to get that thing won and then well, sit if, everybody. I actually, I think Iowa State will be a sharper team because of it. If the game in Ames was any indication... I don't think West Virginia was too overly concerned by the end of the season. So, yeah, I mean... That team did not look like they were too overly interested in playing football uh, by the end of November or into early December. So, like, what – yeah, I mean, I can understand, oh, you got, what, two extra days of prep than what you would have before. But, I mean, I don't think that that West Virginia game was going to make that big of a difference anyway. I don't either. And, and again, I almost think that it may hurt Oklahoma because they've just – the end of their season because of COVID has been so rigid. They played what once in the last month? Yeah, and they've just been, you know, every time they think they're going to play, it gets canceled, and it's that's hard. I mean, this whole thing has been mentally hard on everybody, and I, I think the fact that Iowa State's schedule is the only team in the country yeah. that has not had a game disrupted by COVID this year. Well, the only game, the only team like in the top ten or something like. Oh, that. Oh, is that what it was? I don't think they're the only team in the country. But. Oh, I thought I read that yesterday. Well, regardless, I think it's a big win yeah. um, in, in that aspect, just because you know, your guys can show up and kind of know what to expect. Yeah, and I, that's where I'll say again, like, it would not shock me at all if Oklahoma comes out and they're able I mean, they look fresh. They're flying around. Like, yeah. they haven't played in, in three weeks. Yeah. The same thing happened against Texas, where Iowa State early in the – or Texas early in the game, they looked like a team that was flying around. They looked fresh. They hadn't played in 21 days at that point. But I think that that's where you'll see as the game goes along, the team that has played recently will be the one that's more prepared to get beat up a little bit, you know, to get into – this game I think is going to turn into a – backyard brawl this is a this is a junkyard dog fist fight type game this is bruce weber type football right here so you don't think this will be a big 12 championship game in the 40s and 50s absolutely not i don't either i I think this is in the high 20s to low 30s i think it'll be a really good football game um guys tomorrow morning we will have another um postseason podcast uh, special edition on our road to Dallas. I believe we are going to dial up Brent Bloom, and maybe we could call up Jay Jordan too. Let's yeah, that'd we'll, be good. we'll call around some of our friends. But um, Jared uh, has been uh, kicking butt. We have a lot of great content that's up on the website right now. I want you guys to check out. Jeff Woody has a two-part preview. It's fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's really good stuff where he – it's more your X's and O's for your football geeks. I would encourage anybody to go and read both of those. Kirk Holland, I have not read Holland's yet. What is Holland writing about? Uh, it's really good, too. It's um, He kind of just writes about being a fan of Iowa State for, I mean, he's 36. So having a 30-plus year history of being around Iowa State football and the idea that, like, this could never happen. Mm-hmm. And just reflecting on kind of the journey to, to get in here, there's, you know, references to all sorts of different things, the hot tub in the south end zone, the, oh, yeah. the okay. helmet cart. It, it's really good. Kirk check, did a good job. Check out that stuff. Rob Gray is going to have some new stuff for you and then um, all of your Cyclone basketball coverage as well. I would also encourage everybody, if you haven't yet, to go back and watch our um, championship game preview stream 
that we did uh, with Brett Meyer and Todd Blythe and Bloom on Monday night. I, I thought it turned out really well. We had a lot of fun. Those guys are great. You, you can find that on the front page of Cyclone Fanatic, or if you just go through the history of our social media accounts, that's streamed on, on Monday night, uh, and we had the replay posted on from our YouTube channel. So check all of that out as well. Thanks to our uh, sponsors of all of our postseason coverage, Graphite Construction Group, Wild Rose Casino in Jefferson, and the DraftKings Sportsbook, Fairway Meat and Grocery, and of course our good friends at the Iowa Clinic and the Iowa Clinic Men's Center. Let's hear from them, and then we'll get to my conversation from earlier today with former Iowa State quarterback and NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfels. Well, we haven't heard from him for a while. It's like he went into some sort of like football hibernation, but it's it's good to hear from Sage Rosenfels. He's of course he wants to come back and talk before the Big 12 championship game and Iowa State's playing in it. How you doing, my man? I'm doing great. You know, when, when summer hits and with the pandemic and everything going on, uh, you know, we weren't even sure if we were going to have a college football season. And, and, you know, the NFL was like, we'll see what happens. And I decided to sort of take the year off from yeah. a media standpoint. Uh, and it's been great. I, I got to really focus on other things. My son went out to college in, in Los Angeles. Of course, he's home now for Thanksgiving and for holidays. Uh, but I just had a lot going on in my life, and it was a, it's been a nice break. Uh, it's also been nice to sort of take take a step back and just sort of enjoy uh, the college season, the pro season, but in particular, just enjoy this uh, this, this Iowa State season. It's, it's absolutely been unbelievable. It's been a great ride. You know, as fans, as players, I'm sure, as media people, uh, you, don't, you don't come around very often. And I will be. Uh, with my kids, I will be down in the Jerry Dome uh, on on Saturday morning. So I'm really looking forward to this game. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, so we, I admit to doing this. We uh, will talk about like coaches and kind of like a relay race, right? Like how Mac started this thing, and then um, you know, and then it went to Chiswick, and then it, I I feel like former players sometimes get left left behind in that conversation. So you you Sage were one of the pillars in my opinion you and Bruns and there, there's a handful of guys from your team that really in my mind started this deal um, how how much pride have you taken in watching this team this year? When I was in Algebra 2 my junior year in high school I think it was like the first day of the second semester so we're talking early January I got a letter from Iowa State and it was on like the old letterhead uh, you know, the throwback stuff that a lot of people are asking for now with the old uh, uh, Cyclone emblem on there from like the 80s or early 90s. And, uh, you know, Iowa State at that time for me, three hours away, might as well have been Denver, Colorado. I mean, we just didn't go too far past Cedar Rapids. And so, uh, that, you know, and I went out for a visit, checked out the school, went to a game that fall. Uh, went to the Iowa State game, and, you know, you're playing on the old turf, which was almost like a yellow. It wasn't even really green by that time. It was so worn down. Uh, where the Jacobson is, at the north end zone there, was a single-story building uh, that, uh, you know, is basically now was, was the old weight room. I'm not even sure what they do it now. They maybe the opponent's locker rooms or something like that. Um, there wasn't really much of a program there. They were hands down the worst team in the Big 12 Conference continually year after year. 
And uh, so, you know, the guys that signed there, and really the guys that signed the year before me, you know, Todd Bandauer, uh, yeah. Mark Cortez, yeah. uh, Jamie Cole, uh, you know, those guys, and we took, they, they were a year into it. They were the original signing class. And then my class comes in with, as you said, Bruns, Ryan Harklaw, uh, uh, you know, uh, Reggie Hick, well, Reggie Hood was the next year. Darren Davis was my, was my year. Um, you know, to, to really go into this program knowing that we had our work really cut out for us. And we weren't going to beat teams with having more talent. We were going to beat teams by simply working as hard as we could in the offseason and during the offseason and being the tougher football team, physically tougher, mentally tougher. But we legitimately did not have the talent of these other schools. We played these Texas schools. Now you got these guys winning – you know, state championship, 100-meter dashes, and, uh, you know, four-star, five-star, All-American. We didn't have any of those guys. Most of my class were – I don't even know what the stars were back then, but I'm assuming a lot of one- and two-star guys, maybe a couple three-star guys. Reggie Hayward was a big deal because he was a four-star guy. Uh, But, you know, for the most part, um, we were just sort of hard-working, good athletes from the Midwest, a lot of kids from Iowa in those classes. Uh, and they were really lean years. It was, it's really tough when you're in a, you know, one in eight football team as we were my freshman year. We were, I think we were one in 10. We beat Baylor and that's it. That is hard to go to work every day, uh, and to try to get better and to hope that you're going to win this week. And, and then in the off season, there's not a lot of light at the end of that tunnel, but Mac really sold everybody on that dream and everyone stayed committed. Uh, everyone kept working, and we just sort of built the thing brick by brick by brick every single day. And it worked its way up until my junior year. We were 4-7, and seven, but we were really competitive. That junior year, we could have easily been 7-4. and four. We were right there on the cusp, and then obviously the senior year, we go 9-3 and three and, and win the game down in uh, uh, Phoenix. Um, and then, you know, the program has sort of, uh, you know, it's been sort of lifted off from there, I guess, and Matt Campbell has taken it to a whole new level. So uh, I, it was really a great time. I, I remember talking to Jamie Pollard about the end of, you know, around 2000 when we went 9-3. and three. I mean, our basketball program was, was top-notch with, with Jamal Tinsley and, and Marcus Sizer and, and, you know, those guys going to the grade eight, and, and it was regular, you know, a couple rounds in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Cyclone Athletics was really rolling at that time. The, the women's basketball was really good. So, uh, it, yeah, it was it was a lot of work just to get it up to that 2000 season, and then now to see Matt Campbell uh, take it to a whole other level. Um, believe me, there's there are some group text message uh, uh, groups that I'm uh, involved in uh, with guys from those teams. You know, Joe Parmentier, here, the fullback, and. Like Jamie Cole, Corey Kluver, who was a long snapper, uh, uh, Josh Rank, a lot of those guys, we, we still communicate uh, uh, regularly. You know, after a win, after a loss, and obviously this team has been really fun to be on that text message thread. Sage Rosenfeld is with us. Um, Sage, I want to talk specifically about what you've seen from Iowa State's offense if, as you've been sitting back this year. Um, you, you know, it's. I think it's super easy for you know a casual fan to just point out, "Wow, Brees Hall is really freaking good." Yeah, we know <laughs> he does stuff every game, and, and we know that. What have you seen though beneath that? Um, up front, 
I, I feel like um, this one thing, I, I always feel like I'm not really qualified to really great offensive lines because it's difficult if you don't know uh, that aspect of the game so much. But it, it does seem like there's a combination of having an elite running back, a quarterback that can extend plays the way Brock Purdy can, and that offensive line has taken a step forward this year. Give us more um, – Give us some more in-depth, under-the-hood analysis on what you have seen from this offense to make it more efficient this season. Well, let's start with that offensive line. It's always easy to talk about Purdy or or the receivers, the tight ends, or Brees Hall. But let's start with that line. I watched, because because I called the Oklahoma game uh, for Touchdown Radio Network, uh, sort of fill in there for Gino Toretta, and I got to call that game. And so I, I watched that Louisiana game, and, and I was deeply concerned. I was like, man, this offensive line really struggled in that game. There were some things that they did that didn't make any sense to me. Some guys would come off blocks, and there would be a, a defender running free. And so I was like, man, this offensive line, is, again, is going to be a, a work in progress. And then they just got better and better and better. And I'm not sure if it was confidence, if it was coaching, if it was a couple of new guys thrown in there, uh, but they just got better and better and better. And I will say that it seems like to me, some of the running game got a little simpler uh, from what I saw than past years. So maybe they, they cut down on some things and sort of less is more uh, because if you just cover guys up, uh, as you know, Brees Hall uh, will, will ha- have plenty of success. And you know, the guy is, that kid is super talented, but watching that offensive line work, this year and improve, I think has been one of the best stories of this Iowa State team because, you know, it's that everyone else always gets all the credit and, and the last thing you talk about are the five guys who are making it all happen. You can't throw the ball, you can't run the ball unless the guys up front are doing well. So, you know, that, that, that group has been tremendously uh, improved. And when you can run the ball, which this team has, it makes the life of Brock Purdy so much easier and the passing game so much easier. Uh, and I think that has been a much, a much healthier sort of combination that they have now. It seemed like before it was less running game and, you know, Brock has to throw for 365 yards and run around back there and he's making guys miss and he's moving around the pocket trying to find a soft spot. Uh, to make a throw, there's not nearly as much pressure this year. Uh, one, because I think the pass blocking has just gotten better, but because they can run the ball. Defense, defenses aren't just keen off in the quarterback. Defenses have to play the run first. They have to be gapped down first. Uh, they can't bring crazy blitzes because if you run away from that blitz and you get a guy cut off, there's a 50-yard run waiting to happen. So I think the running game has helped the passing game. Uh, but, yeah, this, this offense line's been, been great. Purdy's fantastic as he's been for three years now. You know, I think I said it on Twitter. Brock Purdy's the best quarterback in Iowa State history. You know, I, I had a decent season my senior year. If you look at my stats, I think I threw for 10 touchdowns or something my senior year. Obviously, Seneca was a, was a great quarterback as well. Uh, but I, I, Brock Purdy has just been the stuff that he has been asked to do consistently throw for 250-plus or 300-yards-plus. No quarterback in Iowa State history uh, has, has been that good. Uh, the way he does create and move on, and the way he also occasionally runs and moves his legs for, for yeah. big plays or for key first downs and, and, again, makes that offensive line better. Brock's one of those quarterbacks uh, that makes everybody around him better. And let me tell you a quick story. I was 
coming out for the draft, and I was being worked out by the, at the time it was the San Diego Chargers quarterback coach. And he and I were talking about other quarterbacks in the draft, and he was saying he likes guys who make everybody around them better. He's not hugely concerned about arm strength and hugely concerned about this, that, and the other, and the 40-yard dash and the three-cone. He wants guys, if you took them off the team, the team might sort of fall apart a little bit, right? I mean, I don't mm-hmm. think that would happen to Brock Purdy, but sure enough, they drafted Drew Brees. Makes a lot of sense, right? A guy who just made that Purdue Boilermakers team way better and then it went in the Rose Bowl. Brock Purdy's that type of guy where he, he makes the offensive line better, he makes the tight ends better, uh, he makes the entire football team better just by the little things that he does that you can't really compute in some sort of stats. Uh, or some sort of analytics. He just makes the football team better. His accuracy is fantastic. He really misses a throw. The quick release, we all we all know the the, the accuracy is is so good. And um, so yeah, he's he's like a perfect trigger man for this offense. A guy that's a very accurate quarterback on the sort of the the mid range to the to the shorter stuff. He doesn't have the big arm to really push the ball down the field, and that's absolutely fine. Um, so, yeah, we, we all know what Purdy's done this year. The tight end, I am thrilled that Tom Manning has, has used these tight ends uh, the way they can be used this year. I, I really did think last year, maybe the year before, I was like, man, they got, I go to practice, they got three of these tight ends I think all can play, all sort of have NFL-type bodies and, and athleticism. But a lot of times it'd be one, maybe two playing in there. Now they got all three going. And, and that's just really hard on defense when you have guys who can not just block and you can let it down your throat, but also are such weapons in the passing game. And these tight ends are, are exactly that. And then the receivers, the receivers have, to me have been, um, you know, they don't have great players. Uh, I think Xavier uh, Hutchinson has been a, a welcome addition to this football team. Obviously, that was a big get uh, for them to have because they lost some guys. Uh, the last couple of years, but you know the receivers have done a really nice job of making the plays they need to make, uh, you know, uh, and and occasionally making a big play. And it's sort of been a, a receiver by committee type of thing. It's not like there's an Al Lazard or or Hakeem Butler or just one guy that we're trying to get the ball to. It's nice that there's a whole bunch of guys who can go out there and be productive. And I and again going back to 2000, my team was sort of like that. We didn't have JJ Moses was probably sort of a guy. He was five foot six. Mm-hmm. But after that, it was Chris Anthony, who was a walk-on, who probably ran a 4-7-40. Uh, and Craig Campbell, um, uh, who was a receiver, who he was pretty fast, but it wasn't like he was you know, a, a four-star recruit. He was probably a two-star recruit coming out of California. So, uh, you know, I, it, it, it was a great group by committee, and they all did things well that they were asked to do. And I think this receiver group is sort of like that. Sage, um, real quick, and then I want to get to Oklahoma in the specific matchup, but I, I have been wanting to ask you about Purdy projecting as an NFL quarterback. I mean, my read on it, the NFL's changed so much. Um, Brock wouldn't have been able, maybe, I, I guess, I mean, Breeze is a decent comparison to what Brock is like, but it would have been a lot more difficult for him to play in the NFL 15 years ago. It seems like right now, I mean, Brock, uh, I, I, I project him to be a – NFL quarterback someday. Do you what? Have you heard anything about him and maybe going pro after this year? And even if not, how, how do you see him breaking down as an NFL guy? 
I have no idea what his, what his deal is going to be after this season. I do see him as a pro quarterback. Uh, you know, Steph Curry's a great shooter. Drew Brees is an accurate passer. Brock Purdy's an accurate passer. That, that's just something that you can't coach into a guy being an accurate passer. The only thing he doesn't have is the really big arm. You know, he, he, there's a Drew Brees thing there with him. I think he's got a quick release in Drew. Uh, there's also sort of a Doug Flutie yeah. aspect to him that I like. And, and I do think the NFL more and more is open to the non-traditional quarterback. And I, and I think finally they have figured it out. It doesn't matter if you're six foot five or, or if you're 5'10", if you can play, you can play. And also, you know, Brock Purdy's not a little guy. Um, he's not 175 pounds. He is a thick kid. You know, Russell Wilson's a thick guy, but Russell Wilson does have a, a stronger arm. So I do see Brock as a guy that will play in the NFL. I think he can play in the NFL for a really long time. Where he would be drafted, whether it's this year or coming out after next year, I really don't know. I haven't. I don't got my finger on the pulse that closely. Uh, but NFL teams love quarterbacks who are winners. They love quarterbacks who are really, really accurate, who are great leaders. That the entire team and the entire, really the, the entire university uh, and, and fan base absolutely adores. Uh, you know, there, there, there's he doesn't have Josh Allen type talent. The Buffalo Bills quarterback. He's not six foot five with a rocket arm. Uh, but there's so many other things that he does well. I can see him having plenty of success in the NFL. Listen, Blake Bortles was a the third pick in the draft. Yeah. Right? Um, and the fact that that's the case, uh, I think Brock Purdy will play in this league for a long time. Yeah, the quarterbacks in the NFL is just fascinating to me. Just one, how... Um, like the the look of the guys, like there's just small like Baker and like smaller guys like that. But two, it's just you remember not that long ago when when you were playing and like a Texas Tech quarterback or an Oklahoma like these these um, you know the styles, the spread styles that Art Bryles and Mike Leach and um, you know how Mom those guys made famous like. We were told, oh, they're system guys and they can't play in the NFL. Well, a couple things on Brock. One, they're not really playing that kind of an offense. But two, those offenses has seeped into the NFL so much now. Like the whole like system thing is really hard to to go off of anymore. Yeah, well, everyone's doing the RPO stuff now. Uh, you know, even the you know the, the traditional NFL offenses like the Gary Kubiak with the Vikings and things like that. They're even running the RPO type stuff. Rock has been doing that now for three years. He probably did in high school as well, uh, and is very good at it. He's very good at getting the ball out quick and, and reading defenses in that way. I also think that you know you're going back to like the Mike Leach, the Air Raid, whether it's Texas Tech or Washington State. Teams aren't scared of those guys now as much as they used to be, and, and one reason is because think about how many throws that those quarterbacks made in practice and in games. They probably have like three times the amount of throws um, in there from it when they're 18 years old until they were 22 compared to like your average, you know, Jim Harbaugh, Michigan quarterback when they're throwing it 25 times a game, right? And all those throws, all those completions 
those mean something. You know, you, you want if you want a guy to score a lot of points in the NBA, you want a guy who shoots a lot in college. Uh, the guy might have a great shot and shoot for high percentage, but if he only shoots the ball 12 times a game in college, you know, the, you're, 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 you're not going to get all those shots and all those reps when they get to the NBA. So I want a guy who has been asked to do a ton uh, in college football to, to my NFL team because then I, ask, I can ask him to do a little bit less and make the job a little bit easier on him uh, and not have to carry the team on his back. And, and Brock has definitely been one of those guys who's, who can sort of carry a football team, can carry this Iowa State team if needed, and it's because he's made all those throws and I think, again, NFL teams are, are probably liking those guys more and more and in less of the days of, like, you know, Brian Greasy at Michigan or these sort of traditional uh, sort of NFL-style quarterbacks. I think they're looking for those guys who have made a million throws because then they can sort of hone that in and, and sort of turn them into an NFL quarterback with a guy who's, said who's got a million reps under his belt. Sage Rosenfels here. All right, looking ahead to Saturday. Uh, Iowa State's like a five-point underdog right now at the time of us recording this. You you called the game the first time these two teams met. I, I think it's important to point out how much better both of these football teams are now compared to early October. Sage, how do you see this one playing out? What are um, what are your thoughts, and how does Iowa State win this thing? Well, it really is going back to that game, and I remember watching that game, and it was it was close. I was obviously I was coming off that that Louisiana loss that was so you know we all thought was so bad at the time. Now you look back and it's like, well, actually, Louisiana's a really good, really good football team. But when you watch, go back and watch that game, and I remember watching it in, in real time. I know Oklahoma has all these four and five star recruits, uh, and we don't have all those guys where we just have the five star culture. But when you watch that game, Oklahoma was not the, the better football team who fumbled it away or, or the, the Spencer Rowley or the quarterback threw three interceptions. That was a back-and-forth sort of title fight you know, type of game. It was two very even football teams. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of times in the past, if Iowa State got a win like that versus a, a top-ten type of team, it's because the other team had three or four turnovers to Iowa State zero. It was not that. This is a very even football game, and, and, and I think the, the game in, in Dallas on Saturday will also be very even. I think so, too. Um, <laughs> the, the, I think the only edge, like clear edge, and I'm not talking about matchups as far as intangibles go, does it, does it impact Oklahoma having played in that, that stadium so many times? And Iowa State, I mean, this is the first time for everybody. Does, does that how, – how big of an edge is that? I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, 2010, I believe, I was, I was Eli Manning's backup in New York, and we went down there to play. I think it was the second year that stadium was open, and you'll walk out on the field, and it's like, oh, my God, this place is huge. Yeah. Uh, you know, for, for people from the, from Iowa, it's like walking in the Mall of America and be like, holy cow, this place is enormous. It's not like a – it's yeah. not the Merle Hay Mall here we're talking about, right? So mm-hmm. um, it, it's sort of like that. The place is 100,000 people indoors. Obviously, they're going to have about 25,000, I think, for the game. Um, is that advantage? I don't know. But it's definitely going to be an unbelievable experience for the fans going down, unbelievable experience for these players. Um, and it's, you know, I don't know if playing on that turf 
uh, you know, if that, that helps uh, Oklahoma a little bit because they're just probably a little bit faster maybe, yeah. um, uh, you know, with, with all the, the, the four and five-star guys where a lot of times, as we know, the Iowa State turf can get a little slippery sometimes, and that can be um, a little bit of a, uh, an evening out uh, you know, type of thing um, for the football game. So, you know, I, I don't think the stadium makes a difference. I do wonder if the turf, uh, with, with, with all the speed that Oklahoma does have, if that matters. But, um, you know, as I said, if Iowa State's defense comes to play like they've been playing for the most part this year, uh, I, I think this is going to you know, be a very close ball game. It'll come down to a, you know, a couple plays here and there. Sage, it, uh, it's always good to talk to you, my man. I've missed you. I know. I know. We'll have to get together after the season, and, and we'll, get our, we'll get our vaccines going, and yeah. then we'll, uh, well, we'll, 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 share I, with, we'll share with you. I got checked. I've, I've still got antibodies. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm still masking up and doing all that stuff because that's what we're supposed to be doing. But I, I'm pretty safe. So I, you can come hang out with me whenever. I, I got checked before I went down here, so I'm good, bro. We'll, sound, we'll have to get together after the season. If I don't see you in Dallas, uh, I'll uh, hopefully maybe I'll see you after the game when we're when we're sharing. What is there a Dallas drink like a yeah. Shiner, Shiner box? We'll Shiner, box. Shiner box. That's the key. Yeah, yeah. We'll share with we'll share in the parking lot after the game. Sounds like a plan. Sage Rosenfels, my man. There you have it. Uh, former Iowa State quarterback Sage Rosenfels. Fantastic analysis on uh, just setting the tone for everything coming up on Saturday morning. We will have uh, another one of these postseason preview podcasts for you guys coming up on Friday. It should be in your feeds first thing Friday morning. Encourage you to download that. If you enjoy our content, as always, we'd love you to rate, uh, review, leave some comments. All that stuff is helpful to us. Share it with your friends. And if you'd like to become a Patreon member, you can get extra Cyclone Fanatic benefits each and every week. For Jared Stansberry, for Sage Rosenfels, my name is Chris Williams signing off here on your Thursday afternoon on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network.